Stick with this flame, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on a brilliant guest. He is a former CIA officer. He's got a massive YouTube channel where he helps people and teaches them all sorts of stuff that he's learned from his experience. And he is also the he's also the author of a couple of books as well. And this is the one and only Jason Hansen. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. No doubt, Jason. It's a pleasure. So I've done a very brief intro and overview there. But for people who are not familiar with you, Jason, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. I'll give a rather brief intro too. So I'm born and raised in the Washington DC area. And my first job out of college, I was a police officer. And I had every agency in my backyard being born and raised in the DC area. And the Secret Service and the CIA offered me a job. I figured the agency would be a little more exciting. I joined the agency. I spent seven years there. Amazing, wonderful, great place, but it's a single person's game. And I wanted to get married and have kids one day. And so now I run a, run a private security company where we do all kinds of safety and survival training. Awesome. Well, that's, that was a super brief overview. overview. <laughs> so there's a, lot that, there's a lot that we can go into there. So tell me a little bit about your, about your background. So before you even got into the police force, tell me a little bit about the story before that. So I, I was an active boy, like most active boys. I mean, I was running around shooting BB guns in woods. I'm an Eagle Scout, so I spent a lot of time in the Boy Scouts. And in college, like many kids, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I knew that I didn't want to spend 40 years pushing papers in some boring job. And that's when I was like, you know, many kids, hey, I want to be in the FBI. I want to be in the CIA. I want to join the Secret Service. You know, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a SWAT or whatever. And the big myth is that, you know, you see the Hollywood movies and the myth is that everybody gets recruited by the CIA, right? Like they're all getting hunting down in some hotel bar and they're getting recruited. That's nonsense. The truth is that like 1% get recruited and 99% of us apply and are very, very blessed to get through the rigorous process. Awesome. What was it that made you want to go into the CIA? I mean, you... You said that, you know, it's something that lots of people want to do, but I mean, I don't know, maybe where you grew up, it's a, it's a little different, but mm -hmm. I don't actually know that many people who wanted to go into the police force, let alone into the CIA or something like the Secret Service or whatever the UK equivalent is, you know, we have MI5, MI6, that sort of thing. Sure. I mean, I'm probably two reasons. One, I'm very patriotic. I love America. I want to do something for my country. So I was looking at joining the military. I was looking to join in the, you know, all the different agencies. And so patriotism has a, a big factor. In it. And the other thing is I wanted to venture. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't want to spend 40 years in some boring desk job. I was looking for excitement. I was looking for adventure. And that's another reason that I decided to do it. I hear that. Did you have anyone in your family previously who got involved in law enforcement or anything like that? Or were you the first? You know, I didn't actually. So I don't. You know, my family wasn't a military family. My dad wasn't a cop, um, you know, any of that. And so, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't something that was like on the family tree or anything. But I was just always looking for that excitement adventure. And again, you know, very patriotic where, hey, I want to do something for this awesome country that we live in.
Okay. You know what? I want to, I want to, I want to divert there based on something you just said, which I think is interesting. What does patriotism mean to you? That is a great question. I love that question. Question. So patriotism means that, you know, you love your country, you support your country, you support and defend the constitution. And when I say support and defend the constitution, I think that can get twisted big time. So when a lot of people hear that, like support and defend the constitution, they're like, oh my gosh, you're going to be one of those crazy guys in camouflage. Who's going to go raid Capitol Hill with an Uzi and an AK-47 and take No, 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 no. What I mean is we have rights. We have the Bill of Rights in the United States. So you should support and defend your freedom of speech, your right to bear arms, like all your rights. And that's what it means to me. I mean, we are incredibly blessed to have rights that many other nations don't have. And, you know, go visit a communist country, you know, go to China, go to Russia, go to North Korea, go to Cuba and see how you're, you know, running your mouth off there works for you. It's not going to get you very far. So it means to me is don't take for granted the freedoms we have and actually support them and don't be afraid to share your love for them. So, well, you know, I'll give you another example. I own a lot of guns. You can obviously see guns in my background. I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment. And so, you know, I've got many T-shirts which have guns on them, right? And I've heard some people say like, oh, I would never wear a T-shirt like that because if somebody at my work saw it or somebody, you know, saw it, they'd think I was horrible. I'm like, like you're, you're again, you're too shy to actually wear a T-shirt with a gun. You know what? It's not saying you're going to go murder something, do something bad. You are supporting the Second Amendment. So that's that's a long winded answer of what patriotism means to me. Yeah, no, it's it's all good. I think it's interesting. I think the concept of patriotism is a very interesting one because it means different things to different people. And I think that even depending on what country you're from and perhaps even where you sit politically, it's seen differently. I mean, the description that you've given me, honestly, in this day and age, it sounds like a conservative or right leaning description. If you see what I mean, like if you just take take the word patriotism out of it, if you said what you said, people would be like, oh, you know, that's a, you know, that's a definition of a conservative or that's a Republican or that's, you know, a, a right winger or something. And I don't think that was necessarily always the case, certainly not in the USA, but things seem to have shifted now where I mean, even the American flag itself, um, you know, if, if I if I'm in the US, I'm from the UK, but if I'm in the mm-hmm. USA and I see a house with an American flag on it. I think, oh, that's a Republican household. Oh, the, you know, that can, I, I, I do, you know, and, and, and it, there's there's a lot of truth to it. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm getting is at is how do you think it kind of has gotten to that stage where if you are someone who supports the First Amendment, you are someone who supports the Second Amendment and does support the Bill of Rights and the Constitution as it as as it is. How has that become a was that always a quote unquote conservative position or is that something that you have seen sort of shift over time? Oh, it's absolutely shifted. I mean, I am very conservative. I am a Republican. Obviously, that's no secret. Um, but yeah, of course, it didn't used to be that way. Like you said, if you see American flag, you think, oh, that guy's conservative. Before people flew the American flag and it was like, hey, that guy loves the United States. That guy supports our country. So it has become much more divisive, which is terrible because, again, who doesn't love freedom? And I always say, and again, I'm conservative, I'm Republican, and of course I have liberal friends, and I always say like, hey, you knuckleheads, when you are bad-mouthing our Bill of Rights, like, the only reason you get to bad-mouth it is because we have freedom of speech. Like, you can't run your mouth in other countries, and again, you haven't traveled the world like I have 
to see the atrocities. I'm going to tell you a true story. And it's one of my favorite stories ever. So I'm no fan of socialism. I'm no fan of communism. And I'll be very blunt and say they're both evil. They don't work. And anybody who's honest knows that, right? So a friend of mine was on a CIA operation overseas. And it was working with a socialist country. And he was working with somebody very high up in that country. And they became close and friends. And they become, became friendly enough that one day my buddy says to this guy who's very high up in the socialist government, he says, listen, we're buddies now. I've got to ask you, how in the world can you believe in socialism? It doesn't work. It's horrible. It puts people on, you know, everybody's poor, puts people in bad positions. And this guy says to him and he says, well, everybody knows socialism doesn't work unless you're at the top. And I'm at the top and it works very well for me. And I mean, ain't that the truth? I mean, at least the guy was honest, I guess, for that for that time, because, hey, if you're the communist dictator, then, hey, life is pretty good for you. If you're the socialist head of, you know, head of state, pretty good for you. So anyways, yeah, uh, the, I mean, those, I'll try not to go too political for you, but those are my. Yeah, thoughts. no. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's fine. Um, it's so interesting you say that. I mean, in 2020, I mean, I've been I've been to quite a I've been to many former mm-hmm. communist countries, actually, um, especially in Europe. And I was in Romania in 2020 in Bucharest, mm-hmm. where actually they have the second biggest government building after the Pentagon, I believe, the presidential oh. palace in Bucharest, which is gigantic. They displaced over 20,000 people to build it. Um, and this came under Ceausescu, you know, their, their, their last communist dictator, mm-hmm. who I think was deposed in 1989, I think on Christmas Day, if I'm getting my, my dates correct. Um, he didn't actually live to see the completion because it wasn't completed, I think, until 1991 or 1992. But uh, Jason, when I say opulence, if you if you see if you go inside this building, it is crazy. It's crazy. And uh, I actually I've, I've I've been to the Pentagon, too. I've had a tour of the Pentagon and I've had a tour of the presidential palace in Bucharest. And the level of opulence is not is not comparable. You've, I'm talking about gold in the ceilings. I'm talking about like individual rooms. There's over a thousand rooms in this building. And some wow. of them are the size of, man, I don't even, I, they're, they're like st- almost like a, like a stadium sized building, like room, just individual rooms. I don't even know what they're all used for or what the plan was. And what's even crazier is if you see a picture of the building, anyone can Google this. If you look up, um, Romania or Bucharest presidential palace, what you see is at only half the building because half of it is underground. So it's already huh. gigantic. And then you think there's another several floors going, yeah. going down. And the, the building is so large and so heavy that it sinks every year. Every year it sinks by a few millimeters because it's, it's, it's gigantic. Like it's hard to anyone who ever goes to Bucharest, you have to check out that building. Cause it's, it's crazy, but um, it, it, when you, when you were saying what you were saying, that's exactly what came to my mind. You know, the people who are hey, at the that, top that's what you get to do things. when you're a communist dictator. I mean, you get the you can do whatever you want. You're the king of the castle. Yeah, it's crazy, man. So tell me about the process of you uh, getting into the CIA. So you were in law enforcement to begin with, and then you applied. Is that correct? That is correct. It's a very long process. So you apply. And back in the day, you know, you're filling out a bunch of paperwork. Everything I'm sure is online now, but fill out a ton of paperwork. And then you wait. And then the agency says basically, hey, you know, you've you've made it through step one. 
Now you've got a bunch of other steps. So you got to come and meet with us in person. You've got to meet with a psychologist to make sure you're not crazy and that type of stuff. Then you got to do the medical, meet with the doctor and pass the medical test. Then you got to get polygraphed. And then you got to fill out even more paperwork to do the full background check so we can talk to everybody who's ever known you kind of thing to make sure you're not working for a foreign government or trying to overthrow the United States of America. So it took me about 12 months from the start to actually get a, a formal job offer kind of thing where they send you the letter in the mail. Congratulations. You know, you've been, you know, we'd like to offer you a job. So it's a very in-depth and detailed process. And of course, people fall out at any time. You know, anytime you do something, they're pretty much like, hey, you may never hear from us again, or you may get the decline letter, you know, through each step of meeting with a psychiatrist or whatever step you're on. Okay. And then you get accepted. And what happens next? So you get accepted, you get this letter, and I've got the letter, so I don't know where, it's in one of my boxes, you know, it's of course the letter I'll keep forever. It says, hey, you're, you know, you've been accepted, you're going to make a whopping $30,000 a year or whatever it was, you know, back in the day. So clearly you don't join the government to make money. And then it says your EOD date is XYZ. So you report to headquarters, uh, Langley, Virginia. So you report to headquarters. And of course, you're super nervous because they got the gate and you got to give them your information. And there's guys with guns everywhere. And uh, I was 23 when I joined. So I was very mm. fortunate that I was very young to get in at that time. Um, so, yeah, you go to headquarters and then for a week you got orientation and then you head off to the super secret farm and do lots of training and everything. But I mean, it's, it's wonderful experience. You have, I'll tell you another funny story. So, you know, they have these seal, the giant seal at headquarters building, right? You know, you see in all the movies and everything, the big CIA seal and everybody gets a cliche picture in front of that. So you stand in front of that, you're in your suit and tie. Cause you know, you're looking nice and everything. You get the picture. And after I left the agency, I put that picture on a website that said former CIA officer, right? Mm -hmm. And I get a cease and desist letter from the agency that basically says, you can't use that picture. You got to take it down from the, uh, the uh, agency attorneys. So I called a buddy of mine and he used to be in that area. And I said, hey, I got the cease and desist letter from the agency. They said I can't use this picture. And they say that I'm trying to make it look like a store for the agency, even though I clearly say former CIA officer. And he says, well, here's the truth. You can use the picture. You can do whatever you want with it. However, the agency doesn't like to get told no. So we'll send you to the Justice Department and we'll bankrupt you with legal fees. If you don't take, to, take the picture down. So just take it down. And so I take the picture down. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But that's the only time I've, quote unquote, been in any trouble with the agency. Otherwise, wonderful relationship. I love them to death. You know, do a great job. And I recommend people always ask me, like, hey, you know, should I apply? And I'm like, absolutely. It is a great place to work amazing men, amazing women there. That's so interesting because the CIA is one of these organizations or entities that everyone has heard of. Um, but it's, it's sort of very public and very out there, but at the same time, obviously very secretive and mysterious and not a lot of people know much about the inner workings of it. It's, there's this strange juxtaposition there. Mm -hmm. Um, so how does that even work with, I guess, while you're in it and then afterwards talking about it? Um, cause I, I, I didn't even know what the sort of rules and guidelines were around that. I was like, wait, can, are, 
because I think, you know, are there not people who are in intelligence organizations and sort of, you know, no one knows it and their family doesn't even know it and this and that. And even after they leave, it's still the secretive thing. And then other people, it's more open. I've never really understood how, I've never really understood what the sort of policies or um, methods are around that. So when you join the agency, you have to sign a secrecy agreement. And obviously, you know, what most people don't realize is the agency controls the flow of information. What I mean by that is, sure, you see certain things, but there are so many things you're never going to see. Like the amazing work that men and women do, you'll never hear about half of the bomb threats or half of the, you know, uh, blowing up the buildings they stop, you know, the terrorist attacks they stop, that type of thing. You'll never hear about 99% of that. So during the time of the agency, I obviously wasn't telling people what I was doing and all that kind of stuff. Now, after you leave, they remind you, you know, hey, you signed this secrecy agreement, you signed this piece of paper. So I've written many books. And anytime I write a book, I have to send the manuscript to them. And they redact and say, no, you can't say this. Yes, you can say this. And we go back and forth. So I've written over 10 books now. And now I know the vast majority of things I'm not allowed to say. You can't talk about sources. You can't talk about methods. Uh, there's other things I can't talk about. Some things you think like, hey, why is that a big deal? But they still redact and say, no, you're not allowed, not allowed to talk about this. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm never going to violate my confidentiality agreement or anything. And I'm never going to share any secrets or anything like that. So that's how it works is if you're if you have any question, you submit the manuscript or if I'm doing a new training course, I submit the training course manuscript and the agency will say, hey, you can say this. You can't say this kind of stuff, because, again, it's you know, I teach evasive driving. So I teach people how to do the 180 reverse turn, how to crash through a roadblock. We do all that kind of stuff at our 320 acre spy ranch. Now, that is not classified, like how to do the 180 reverse turn. You know, there's no sources about this classified there. But if I was like, hey, I was in Mexico City talking to John Doe, who was one of my assets, and this is how we communicate, you know, that's the stuff that that I can't go, <clears throat> excuse me, go into. Yeah, I hear that. So how long were you in the CIA for, did you say? For seven years. Seven years. Okay. And that was pre, pre-marriage and family? Or was it? It there... was. It was. Yeah. yeah now, okay. I, now I went overboard. I got six kids and one on the way. Um, so job. I've been... Yeah, I've got. We need, we need more. We need more humans. Yeah, yeah. We, well, I'm, I'm helping. Good ones. I can. Good me, ones. me and Elon Musk, and uh, you know. Those... <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, I was single, which is fine. But one of the reasons I left is I had these amazing mentors when I was there, and these guys were, you know, 20 years, 30 years older than me, type of thing. And a lot of them were divorced, or they hated their wife and kids because they wanted the adventure. So when they were home, they were like, ah, you know, I'm bored out of my mind. I don't want to be home. And, you know, I saw that. So being there seven years, you know, you're kind of at a, a tipping point, like, all right, I'm seven years in, I'm going to stay here forever, or I'm going to get out. And it's not like the movies, you actually can get out, you know, they, they try to very much encourage you to stay, because, you know, they try heavily to persuade you. And I'm not using any quotes there, meaning not like heavily persuade you put a gun to your head kind of thing. I mean, they're just like, hey, please don't leave. We really want you to stay kind of thing. Um, because they put a lot of money into you. You have your top secret security clearance, uh, TSSCI with Lifestyle Poly, so they don't want to lose you, but you can leave. I did leave. I left on good terms, and I don't regret leaving. Maybe for like five seconds when I talk to a buddy of mine and they're doing something awesome, I'm like, oh, you know, that's cool, but then I realize, again, what it would be like, and I'd much, much rather be married, have my kids, and be running my business now. 
That's awesome, man. So tell me about uh, what you did, what you did after. What was the next step? So I left the agency and I was doing a lot of corporate consulting and it was almost literally like these corporations would sneak me in the back door and be like, Jason, we have a problem. Jason, we have people getting kidnapped in our Brazil factory and we need you to help us solve this problem. And what was amazing to me after leaving the agency, I assumed that these multi-billion dollar corporations would have a massive security staff. And I'd get into some of these like Fortune 500 companies and they'd be like, we have five people. One guy lives in England. One guy lives in the United States. One guy is in Australia and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, wait a minute. You guys are multi-billion. You got five people and these five people don't actually, you know, they're not, they're not ex-FBI. They're not ex-CIA. They don't really have any real training. So that was a big eye opener for me. And I was doing a lot of that, but I hate corporate work, mostly because I hate bureaucracy, going through the lawyers, dealing with all the, hey, you can say this, but you can't say that. So I don't do very much of it these days. Like every once in a while, I'll do it. But many years ago, I went on the television show Shark Tank. And it was a huge blessing because it kind of opened me up to the masses. So not just doing corporate work where, again, they'd sneak me in and nobody knew who I was, is doing just a lot of celebrities, uh, high net worth individuals, you know, your, your next door neighbor type of thing. So I started doing a lot more, quote unquote, not just corporations, but average civilian type work. And that's what I love. That's what I enjoy. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing to this day. Tell me about the Shark Tank experience. I'm curious. So the funny thing about the agency is obviously you're very, very private, right? You never tell anybody what you do. You're, you know, as the joke we use is if you're working with the CIA and somebody asks you, what do you do for a living? You say, hey, I work for the IRS. That way nobody wants to talk to you again. So they leave you alone. <laughs> oh, so it's a, it's a United States joke. The U.S. guys will get it. Um, and so at the agency, you know, nobody knew what I did. You know, when I'm single with the agency and I'm going on dates, it's not like I can try and use it as a pickup line. Like, hey, baby, I work for the CIA. You want to go out with me, right? So after I left the agency, I'm still very private. As I said, I'm only doing corporate work. And somebody tells me about this television show Shark Tank. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go on TV and have the world know what I actually do. And I've got, you know, I want to have my privacy. And I had a guy tell me, a very successful businessman, and he, he basically said to me, Jason, are you good at what you do? And I said, yeah, I believe I'm the best. And he says, can what you do help people? And I said, absolutely, it can help people. And he says, well, then you've got to go actually tell the world who you are. Like, if you just hide out doing this cor corporate work, nobody's going to know who you are. And so I realized it kind of flipped a switch for me. And I was like, that's a great point. If I'm hiding in the woods, nobody's ever going to know who I am. Nobody, I'm not going to be able to help people. So I kind of flipped, got out of my comfort zone and was like, yes, I'll go on this show Shark Tank. I'll do it. I'll, you know, start trying to promote and get publicity for my business. I ended up getting a deal with Damon John, who's awesome, great guy, very down to earth. And it, I mean, it worked out great for me. I, you know, I was hesitant going on being like, no, I don't know where I want to really want to do this because it's, you know, it's getting me out of my comfort zone, my privacy zone. And then after I did it, I was like, this is great. You know, I'm so glad I did this. So it worked out very well for me. That was cool. And what specifically was, what specifically were you pitching for on the show? So, yeah, I have a bunch of different training courses. So I've got our Ultimate Spy Week, which is a five-day course. I've got our Evasive Driving course. I've got our Escape and Evasion course. 
where I teach people how to escape rope, how to escape duct tapes, how to pick locks, how to become a human lie detector. And that specific two-day training course is what I pitched. I said, and I told the sharks, which was true. I said, hey, listen, my background is the CIA. I'm certainly not the world's greatest businessman because, you know, I didn't go to Harvard Business School. You know, again, I'm a government employee. I need you guys to help me how to grow this business. And, you know, I know this two-day course. I know it's already saved people's lives because I get the emails. I've gotten the testimonials. And now I want to expand it to the masses. And can you help me do it? And that's what I pitched. And that's what Damon John gave me a deal for. Okay. That's, that's such an interesting, that's such an interesting transition to go from law enforcement to CIA to entrepreneurship. Um, so now you've, at that point, had you already written a book or not yet? No, I had not. No. So, okay. so I had, well, I, I'd written stuff, but I never published a book, right? I never sent it to the agency. But after going on Shark Tank, I got approached by Penguin Random House. And they said, hey, I bet you got some great stories. How would you like to write a book? And they give you a hefty advance, six-figure advance. So that kind of makes it a little more appealing. And I said, sure, you know, I'll write a book. So I wrote it, had to submit it to the agency, as I said. They redact a bunch of pages. We go back. I mean, it's a it's a six-month endeavor after you write the book to go back and forth and, and get it the way you want. And I was incredibly fortunate because that book became a New York Times bestselling book and has sold hundreds of thousands of copies. And I've had other book deals since then. So it kind of goes to many things in life where I'm hesitant, like, ah, do I really want to do this and get out of my comfort zone of privacy? And now I'm like, absolutely. I'm glad I wrote the book. And like I said, I've written over 10 books now. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's a lot. What was the name of, what was the name of that first one? So Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life was the one that became the New York Times bestseller. Got it. Got it. And um, I haven't, I haven't yet had a chance to, to read it. I do want to check it out. But who was the, is that book just aimed at the, aimed at the general public? Yeah, it was. So that's, that's what I decided. Again, if I write for the corporate world, not as many people are going to buy it. Plus it'd be more stuffy and boring. After all the adventures you've had and all the things you've done, this can't, this can't be the thing that. Uh... Zuby, I'm going to die on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this can't be it. So after I came out of my shell, after I started letting the world, you know, friends, family know what I do. They, of course, started to ask me for training. They were like, hey, tell me how to do this. Tell me how to do this. All this kind of stuff. And so I wrote the book for like the average person. So anybody can read the book, the, your next door neighbor, your mom, your dad, whomever, and it teaches them spy skills that they can apply to their daily life. So it's one of the things I realized is like, hey, being a spy, you can actually use this in your everyday life. Meaning it's not just for like super ninjas or you got to be a Navy SEAL or anything like that is a vast majority is applicable to the general public. Okay. I obviously don't want you to give the whole book away uh, on this podcast because we want people to go read it. But um, can you can you give someone someone who's listening to this podcast who's who's curious, what is uh, what's something that that they should perhaps know one, one or two pieces well, of advice? So one of the things I teach in the book is how to become a human lie detector. And so I cover ways that anybody can do that. And it's actually very easy, like tells, questions to ask people. And so when I train people on this, they use it in their job. They use it when they're hiring employees. They use it with their coworkers. They use it, you know, when they're interviewing the babysitter to hire as a nanny, because I do a lot of work with very high net worth individuals. 
And so I lay out simply like, here are the questions to ask. Here's how to see the reaction where you can tell if they're lying. And it's not, it's nothing rocket science. So you don't have to hook anybody up to a polygraph. You don't have to have years of training. So that's some of the stuff that I cover in the book. I got that. And tell me a little bit about, um, obviously, family, fatherhood. This is something that's um, important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you've got six kids and one on the way. So Correct. seven. Uh, when did you, so you left the, you left CIA when you were 30? Correct. Yep. Is that right? Okay. Yep. Uh, how did you meet your wife, actually? So funny enough. So when I was at the agency, I wasn't going to church because I was working, you know, nonstop. So I was working Sundays. And I'm a very religious guy. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I go to church every Sunday when I can. But again, with the government, because my schedule, I wasn't going to church. So the very first Sunday where I, when I had left the agency and I was, quote unquote, a civilian, I went to church and I met my wife. Now, we did not hit it off. It's not like it was love at first sight. It was nothing like that. Like we met each other. And then three months later, I asked her out on a date. But... The rest is history. It worked out. Um, you know, fatherhood is, I like learning and I like adventure. So the CIA, as I said, one of the reasons I joined was for adventure, and that's a certain type of adventure. Entrepreneurship is a different type of adventure because it's hard running a business. If you don't do it right, you're going to starve to death. So it's, you know, it's agency may die or get kidnapped or have a hood put over your head kind of thing. Entrepreneurship, you might not be able to provide for your family. You may not make uh, enough money to feed your kids or whatever. So it's a different kind of stress, different kind of adventure. Uh, So from a religious aspect, I believe we should have kids. I believe we should have as many kids as you think you want to have kind of thing to each his own. It's obviously different for every person. But I like the adventure of learning how to raise a human being. So if I would have never had children, I would have never learned all this stuff about raising kids or how to interact with them or how to teach them to be good human beings and have good values. So that is an adventure as itself. And of course, it always teaches me patience where I will never have enough patience ever, ever, ever. So. <laughs> of, of those three things, of uh, being a CIA agent, um, running a business, and being a father and family man, which one's the hardest? That is a great question. I mean, the agency obviously has the most risk, meaning if you screw up the the problems are a lot worse for you, right? So the stakes are the highest in the agency. But running a business is incredibly difficult. Uh, at least for me, it is. Because again, I didn't go to Harvard Business School. I'm no, I'm no Elon Musk. I'm no entrepreneur who you know is just a genius kind of business guy. So it's difficult for me. But of course, fatherhood is the most important, the most rewarding, because it's the one that actually matters. I mean, at the end of the day, That is your legacy. That is, you know, that's okay. How did you, what kind of father were you? How did you treat your children? How did you raise your children? How did you treat your wife and all that kind of stuff? So even though I love what I do for a living, you know, I love, I do love running the business. I know at the end of the day, okay, you know, the wife and kids is the most important thing. Yeah. Our podcast today is sponsored by the wellness company. Did you know that nearly 90% of pharmaceuticals in the U S are produced overseas? That's an alarming statistic. If you don't have an emergency kit on hand, it's time to get prepared. The Wellness Company's medical emergency kit contains eight potentially life-saving medications that every single American should keep in stock. It comes with a 22-page instruction guide on safe medical use for everything from snake bites to COVID to bioterror events. 
Another stellar product from the wellness company is Spike Support. Whether you got vaxxed or not, the virus is still among us in some capacity, as well as the related spike protein. Spike protein can cause brain fog, tissue damage, blood clots, and more. Spike Support is a detoxification powerhouse that aims to strengthen the body's natural immunity and flush out spike protein, so you can get back to that pre-COVID feeling. Get both of these products by going to twc.health forward slash Zuby and get 15% off with the discount code Zuby. That's twc.health forward slash Zuby and use discount code Zuby to get 15% off. Disclosure, the medical emergency kit is only available to U.S. residents. Absolutely. The USA is in a really interesting position right now. I mean, I, I see it as an outsider. I spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time in the U.S., but, and I have... Um, at various points in my life, but especially over the last few years, I've spent a ton of time out there doing lots of events, traveling around to lots of places, meeting lots of people. In fact, my biggest audience is there. Most of my podcast listeners are in the States, most sure. of my social media followers and so on. Um, and the country is in a really, it's a really interesting, but also concerning position. I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier about the increasing uh, political polarization the way that things, you know, things as basic as patriotism and loving the country, flying the flag, all that kind of stuff has become controversial. It's become up for debate. It seems like people are, it, it, it's a very weird thing because if you look at the media or you look on social media, it can look like, oh my gosh, you know, this whole thing is about to explode. But then also in the real world, you know, when I travel around the States and when I'm doing things, it does seem okay. Everyone, most people are still normal insane and seem to be getting on fine there's not these it, it's really weird you get these two different pictures and it's not like everything i mean everything you see online is based in reality right it's not like i mean all these people clearly exist and mm -hmm. if you see a video or you see photos or something it's like okay these things exist but right. i think the media whether it's traditional media or social it it highlights and amplifies the negative and the crazy and the conflict and the normal everyday stuff, you know, you know, some people went out to downtown Chicago and it was a sunny day and everyone got on fine. That's not news. But if something, if someone goes and does something crazy, that's the thing that everyone sees, not just sees in that city now, but sees across the country, sees across the world. You can have something crazy that happens in New York today. And then, you know, within 24 hours, people around the entire world are talking about it. And, um, I don't know, there's all these things going on politically, socially, culturally, lots of changes and shifts and this has always happened but it's certainly happening at an accelerating pace and we've now got technology and we've got social media and all that so from your perspective both with your work but i think also perhaps even specifically as a as a father um how do you how do you see all that and where do you see it going is that something that you have some concerns for with you know, the, the country or the world that your children are going to grow up in? Just how do you how do you process and deal with all that? So, I mean, I think it's going to get worse, meaning I don't think people are going to be any better human beings. And I think the vast majority of it has to do with selfishness is we are an incredibly selfish world. We think everybody owes us something. Um, you know, going back to kids, I've got plenty of friends who are very successful entrepreneurs and they don't have any kids. And it's not because they can't have children, but they're like, hey, I want to be able to go vacation every other weekend. You know, I want to be able to go on my on my boat and all that kind of thing. And, you know, why am I going to have kids and it's going to inconvenience me? So, you know, my day is I get up at 5 a.m. every day 
I go to work and sometimes it's here in my office where, you know, I'm just working with clients over the computer. Sometimes I'm out at our 320 acre spy ranch, but I'm working till let's say, you know, five, six o'clock. And then I go home and from five to nine, I'm playing with the kids. I'm hanging out. I'm doing whatever. And that is my day. Right. I mean, I, there's, there's no break where I've got other friends who are like, Oh yeah, I can't have kids because when I'm done at five o'clock, I want to go watch four hours of Netflix. I'm going to go do this and that. So I, we're just, we're selfish. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, again, I understand some people can't have kids and they have what I call legitimate reasons, but there's just so many people are there like, no, I want to be able to do whatever I want, go to every fancy restaurant. And I can't take my kids to fancy restaurants. And obviously I make a lot of sacrifices, but it's worth it. So I think the problem is, is we're not going to get any less selfish. We're always going to think me, 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 me. We're always going to think like, Hey, this guy has this and he owes me it. So I'm going to rob him. I'm going to kill him, whatever. I, I believe we're going to become an even more violent society than we are, uh, which is why, and I tell everybody, which is why, like, one of the biggest things I do is self-defense training, do a tremendous amount of it. And I'm, I, I tell people, like, you're crazy if you don't know how to defend yourself. And you don't have to be a black belt in karate. You don't have to be a black belt in jujitsu. Like, I can teach you how to do it, but you have to know how to protect yourself these days. That's such an interesting perspective. What is it that has changed that you think has caused this rise of selfishness because I, I I see the same thing and it's interesting because you you see it in multiple generations I think it sort of manifests a little bit differently whether you're looking at Gen Z or you're looking at Millennials you know people around my age or you're looking at older generations but I I also have observed this increasing selfishness narcissism self-obsession not wanting to you know experience any discomfort or sacrifice anything and and you know, I have some ideas of where it's come from, but what do you think? Well, as a religious person, as a Christian, I mean, we know when you see those polls, people are less faithful these days, meaning when it shows like, and I'm just making these numbers up, I don't know the true numbers, but you know, in the 70s, 80% of people were religious and believed in God and went to church. And now we're at 40% of whatever the true number is. So I think we have twisted things where now people think they should be able to do whatever they want. And if you don't like what they're doing, they're going to call you a racist or they're going to say you're a bigot or whatever. So I, I think a big part of it is this, you know, this attitude where, again, I should be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And if you tell me no, I'm going to I'm going to start complaining and I'm going to lose my mind. And it's just yeah, I mean, it's a it's a sad state of affairs. And I think you said it, too, like any little discomfort they can't handle. And they have I mean, I'm going to sound like an old man when I go into they have no work ethic. You know, they don't want to work. I, I work 12 hours a day, every single day. And I love what I do. It's usually five to five. Right. And when I'm hiring people and I'm like, Hey, you need to, I said, tell them you don't have to work 12 hours a day, but you better work 10 hours a day. If you want to get ahead with me, I'm like 10 hours a day, you know, that's not the four hour work week. So <laughs> we're, we're lazy and selfish. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, it, it's, I mean, you touched on an important point there. You know, you, you touched about the, decline of religiosity across the Western world. What's actually interesting, and most people don't know this, is the world overall is actually becoming more religious. The percentage of religious people around the globe is actually increasing um, because Christianity and Islam are actually converting people at a faster rate than, you know, the opposite is happening. So actually the, the world is becoming more religious, but from a Western perspective, 
if you're in the US, if you're in the UK, whatever, it can seem like, you know, you look at church attendance numbers, you look right. at some of these polls, whether it's Gallup or YouGov or whatever it is, and you're seeing this decline. And you're also just sort of seeing it with your own eyes. You're seeing it at the ground level, you're seeing it at the political level, you're seeing it in the society, the culture, and so on. So there's this sort of interesting juxtaposition, I think, between what's happening in our countries and then sort of wider trends. And we're, I, I think we're, we're in the process of running a whole bunch of different experiments on this sort of entire human species. Everything from social media and smartphones, which we've had for under 20 years, like people forget how new it all is. Right, people, yep. Billions of people being so interconnected. Um, everything that's going on with, um, you know, if you think back to even the 90s or even in the early 2000s, I think with the whole, you know, what people used to call the kind of new atheist movement, people had this idea that, oh, you know, if we can just you know, root out the religious thinking and whatever, you know, everyone's going to be super logical and super rational and, you know, more moral and whatever. And it's instead, we've just got crazy ideas like, you know, a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man, like up can be down, left can be right, right. And you're not meant to question it. You're not meant to, otherwise, like you said, you know, you're a bigot, you're some type of phobic or whatever. And I think something that's also happened, I mean, you've had the breakdown of family as well happening at the same time, which is a, another huge problem. And I, I think another thing that is just missing from the conversation, a couple things. Um, number one, I never hear about the concept of honor anymore. Mm -hmm. I never hear about the concept of duty. And people talk all the time about rights and rights are extremely important, right? We started our co the conversation talking about rights, but people have forgotten that rights come with responsibilities, right? So everything is just like, okay, well, I have a right to do this, right? I, I can do this. I can do this. It's like, you know, I can, I have a right to say this, do this, behave whatever way. And it's like, yeah, you have a right, but what about your responsibility, right? Like if you're sure, I'm not, I'm not here saying, oh, you know, this is not allowed or this is not, it's like, cool. Like generally speaking, people can do what they want and people can say what they want, but it doesn't mean that you should right? Just, just because you have the right to do something or the freedom or the liberty or something. I think this is where the sort of concept of freedom has been perverted in a way where it's just gone on to sort of mean uh, hedonism and selfishness and just doing, doing whatever you want with no limitation, not considering who, how, why it may affect other people or even affect yourself. And then interestingly, at the same time, what if we got a massive rise in as well? you know, mental health problems, depression, anxiety, you know, suicidal ideation, all these kind of things are sort of ramping up and people are like, hmm, why is this happening? What's going on? We've got this mystery. And given all the previous things we've already mentioned, I'm kind of like, uh, isn't it obvious? You've broken down all these foundations that actually keep people sane and stable and within certain frames and boundaries and sort of under this perverse guide of guys of freedom and rights, you've, you've just exploded it all. And now people don't know what to do. They're just directionless, no compass. No one's giving them guidance. And they're just like, okay, uh, I guess I just do whatever makes me feel happy. Sure. I 100% agree with everything you said. When, when I'm talking to people, I say, listen, here, here's what it goes. It goes God, family, country. Because you got to have God first, obviously, because that's your direction for everything. Then you got to have family because the family unit is the most important thing in this country, because if you don't have a good family unit, you don't have a country. And that's, you know, that's where we're going now because people have perverse and various twisted ways of what an actual family is. And, you know, I believe, and I know what the true family unit is. And so that really hurts the United States. And so, you know, I think 
again, it goes back to selfishness, it goes back to responsibility. I mean, I do a tremendous amount of work with high net worth individuals, right? And it can be celebrities, musicians, whomever, people, you know, people you would know and people you've probably interviewed on your podcast. And some of these people are wonderful and some of these people are not so wonderful. And I tell them like, listen, you have a talent that is God-given, meaning I will never be able to dunk a basketball. I will never make the NBA. So like, this is a God-given talent, meaning he gave it to you. You should like not take it for granted. You should respect it. You should be like, hey, you know, you should thank God for giving this to you because he did not bless me with that talent. You know, same thing. Some of these businessmen I work with are just amazing. Like, you know, they probably got 1600 on their SATs. They are so bright. And I'm like, you have a God-given intellect. I did not do that well on my SATs. I am not book smart. I'm street smart, but not book smart. So that is like a God-given level of intelligence. So when you sit here and you tell people like, oh, it's easy to build a business. Like anybody can build a $100 million business. That's a piece of cake. And I'm said, it's easier for you because you are so smart and God gave you that talent. Other people don't have that high level of intellect to be included. So it's harder for this. So how can you not like thank God and realize where it come from? It's not because you're amazing, right? Obviously you have to work hard, but guess what? God gave you that work ethic too. Like you, you, God gave you that drive. So I think a lot of it goes back to, again, not realizing being grateful and thankful for what they have. Like I'm grateful and thankful where, you know, I'm grateful I got into the CIA. I'm grateful that I have a business where I get to do what I love and help a lot of people. And I realize that my talents, although they're not physical, I'm not an NBA player. I'm not the world's smartest guy. He still blessed me with various things to help people. And I'm grateful with that. Yeah. And man, I, I hammer it so many times in interviews and when I'm on stage speaking at events, I talk all the time about perspective and gratitude. Mm -hmm. I think that when, when an individual or an organization or even a nation as a whole, when a culture loses those things, I think that's what, you know, that is when you get the depression, that is when you get yes. the anxiety, that is when you get people who have who have so much compared to compared to most people in the world. Like, let's be honest, if you are an if you're an American in, in the USA in 2023, um, on a on a global level, on a historical level, just off the bat, you're you're already in the 1%. Right? You might not be in the 1% of people within the USA. But if you right. think of all the billions of people who have ever walked the earth, and you think of what they lived through and what they have to deal with or what they currently have to deal with. It's like, man, you've already, you, you've kind of hit the jackpot by dint of birth. So it can be frustrating when you have people in these situations and instead of going, oh, actually, you know what? We're, that's pretty cool. Like we're, we're fortunate. Let's be grateful for these things that we do have, especially if you're, you know, you're in good health, you're not, don't have some mm -hmm. horrible debilitating illness or whatever, you're able-bodied. Um, you have people who it, it's sad when you see someone who has so much to be grateful for and they're still depressed and angry at the world and blaming other people and this and this, it, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for it because, uh, you know, I, I'm a sympathetic person, but my, my sympathy is quite judicious. I'm very aware of like historically and globally, the sort of horrors that people deal with. So when someone is, you know, flipping out because you know, the, the avocados sold out or, you know, the Wi-Fi went down or, you know, <laughs> so, so, some silly nonsense has happened, right? Like someone, uh, someone asked them where they're from and, you know, they took that as a microaggression. I'm like, dude, you know, like in the grand scheme of things, like, is this really worth 
you know, losing your mind over and spending your whole day angry because you, you read some silly article on the internet, whatever it is. I don't know. You know what people call first world problems. Yes. Um, and I think if people could kind of just pull their heads out and just look up and sort of count their blessings, um, and maybe the concept of blessings has been forgotten, um, and been replaced with people just feeling like they are entitled to things and they just, you know, get things because they're breathing. I don't know. It's, um, it's a massive topic, but, uh, it's, it's an interesting one because I, I think that I, I, th I genuinely think this sort of attitude and mentality is the greatest threat to both the USA and the, and the Western world. I don't think it's, you know, of course there are external threats, but not, I don't think in the way that it has been in the past. Um, I don't think there's a massive threat that, you know, China's going to come and land troops on the USA or in the England or Russia's going to, you know, roll in with tanks. That's not the concern. The current concern is sort of, it's the, it's the domestic, it's the domestic mentality and having so many, you know, in increasing numbers of young people, especially, you know, I'm sure I, I haven't even read the poll, but I can guarantee that if there's a poll, you know, asking, you know, are you proud to be an American or, you know, do you think the USA is a force for good? Like, I can guarantee that that's going to decline um, as you go from people who are age 70 plus down to people yeah. who are, you know, teenagers, I haven't even seen the poll and I already know that's what the, what the result is going to be. Um, and that's, uh, that's a shame. You know, I think that's, uh, that, that's not the trajectory you want to be on because when people don't appreciate something, they tend to undermine and oftentimes destroy it. I mean, I, I think the problem is, well, the problem is everything you just said, but what I tell people these days, like young people who are coming to me for advice, I want to learn from me. I'm like, actually just work hard. Like if you're willing to put in 12 hours a day, so many people are lazy these days. It's easy to get ahead in the United States these days because nobody actually wants to work. So you could go drive Uber for 12 hours a day and make a living and be fine and not be poor sitting on the street corner. I mean, there's just so many opportunities out there. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many opportunities we have kind of thing. So it's not hard to get ahead in the United States these days, as long as you're willing to work, which of course most people are. I mean, I, I used to own a warehouse where we had all our physical goods and this kind of family friend guy, I know he just got married. He was in college at the time and he lost his job. He was working, I can't even postal delivery store or something, but he lost his job. Newlywed. Right. And I, he said, you know, found out he needed a job. And I said, well, okay, I've got a, I can give him a warehouse job. Right. It's, it's a warehouse job, not glamorous or anything. And so he tells my wife, like, oh, no, it's not exactly what I'm looking for. You know, I really don't want to work in a warehouse. You know, but like, really? You're, you're being picky, buddy. You just got married. You don't have a job. We're in small town USA, not a lot of our two knees. But that's, again, that's the world we look uh, live in, where they're like, oh, yeah, lifting heavy bags in a warehouse all day. You know, even though it could provide for my wife, let me, let me do something else. What's easier type of thing? And that's why I never worry about my kids having money and making money because I'm instilling the work ethic. I mean, they get their butts out there and mow the lawn. They get butts out there and do whatever. And every time they complain, you know, my kids like, what am, you know, they're always like, so what do I get when I unload the dishwasher today? I said, you get to live and sleep in my house tonight. That's what you get. <laughs> unload the dishwasher. And, and it's, I mean, I'm dead serious. That's what I tell them. I love that. I love that. And they always look at me, they always frown. They always, you know, give me that frowny face and, but that's, that's how I grew up. I mean, my dad worked the crap out of me. I mean, I was all, and I hated it, admittedly. I hated it at the time. But, you know, obviously, as you get older and wiser, I realized it was good for me. So, yeah, I put all six, soon-to-be-seven kids to work, you know, age-appropriate jobs. And I'm like, yeah, 
yeah, get out there, get working. And when they want to buy something like my this Nintendo Switches, they, they love these Nintendo Switches, right? It's like, <laughs> it's a craze. So my son's like, hey, this game's $30. And I said, okay, well, get out there and work. If you want to earn $30, you got to mow the lawn several times. And I told him it was $5 to mow the lawn. That's what I pay him. We got a big lawn, by the way. And my wife was like, no, let's give him $5 for the front and back. I said, what do you mean? Come on. You know, he's nine years old. Why are we going to shell out 10 bucks? We were about to, we were about to get a lawn mowed for five bucks. So now I'm paying him $10 to mow the big lawn. But, you know. Hey, inflation, man. Inflation. Right. I guess so. Exactly. <laughs> no, that, that, that's powerful, man. I, I, I think that's so important because it, it's important for people to understand the connection between labor and money or getting things right because there's so much entitlement mentality out there where people just feel owed 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 a lot of things simply for existing right it's like i'm here i breathe air so just give me stuff even if that means you have to take it from people who are working and just give it to me even though i could work and i choose not to um and, and that mentality is um it, it's oddly common i mean you know, I think also, you know, as, as Christians, of course, you know, we're called to look after one another, love our neighbors, help other people, be charitable, all of that. And I absolutely encourage that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, hey, like you've got to, you know, you've, you've got to, you've got to work for things, right? Like I, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't walk around the world assuming that anybody owes me anything, right? Beyond beyond basic courtesy and civility, and not like, you know, robbing mm -hmm. me or harming me, I, I don't assume. Oh, okay, like I'm just entitled to this person's time or service or labor or energy or whatever. And I'm kind of amazed by how many people just expect that. Um, but I guess you know we've we've talked a lot about the issues. But how how do you think that you've explained how your helping to make sure your your own own children don't have that mentality is there any way that we can we, we can sort of scale this or do you think it's just the because the truth is the sad the sad reality is you know not every not every child has a has a father like yourself who understands these things and is principled and is hardworking and then can pass that on to them you know we've got increasing numbers of people who don't have that do you think there's anything we can kind of do as a society as a culture is there something americans can do as a nation to you know, help to, you know, main, maintain the good aspects of modernity, but bring back some of these more, some of these values that have been lost over time. I mean, I think a good part of it is doing what we're doing now. Like I've got my YouTube channel. I've got a large email list where I talk to people all the time and I share my beliefs and I share my faith and I share my work ethic and I share my love of freedom. And I say like, you need to do the same too, the same thing too, guys, basically pay it forward. Meaning don't shy away from, hey, I believe you need to work. I need you, you know, I believe you need to stop whining and actually get your, so like, there's so many, like when I work with, for instance, people in Hollywood, right? They say, you know, Jason, we, we signed an NDA. You can never ever tell anybody that you trained me because you're a conservative. And even though I'm a conservative too, nobody in Hollywood can know I got to pretend I'm a liberal. So I think if we get more people who are, are not afraid, and willing to share their faith, their freedom, their work ethic, their beliefs, that's what we need. I mean, there's too many people cowering. And then, of course, just serving others. We already talked about I mean, any way you can help people. People, I do a lot of work with youth groups, church youth groups, and I teach them kind of anti-kidnapping stuff. So stranger danger for age appropriate. 
But also I'm telling these guys when they ask me, I'm like, yeah, you got to work hard if you want to get it. You know, nothing, as you said, nobody cares about you in life besides your mom and dad and your spouse when you're married. Nobody really gives a crap about you. So it's up to you to work hard and achieve what's going to happen. I mean, as much as I, I wish that like, you know, somebody's going to call me and offer me the biggest contract in the world. I know I have to go chase it. I know I have to do a good job. That way I get referrals and word of mouth. So I think one of the biggest problems is, is it's the lottery winner. And what I mean by that, you see the guy who won 600 million. So everybody thinks, Hey, I'm going to play and win it too. Or you see the Mark Zuckerberg's of the world. Like, Hey, he started Facebook. You know, I'm going to start the next Facebook. Yes, that's possible. But of course you never hear about the 99% of people who didn't win the lottery, the 99% whose businesses failed kind of thing. So to hit that one magic thing is very rare which is why I still work 12 hours a day. I know I've got to put in the work. I know that if I start slacking off, things are not going to happen the way I want to have them happen. Yeah, I hear that. Absolutely. So Jason, beyond a uh, child number seven, what else have you, uh, what else have you got coming up? Interestingly enough, I am a big fitness guy. You know, when I was with the agency, I was in the best shape of my life. And for years, years I've been wanting to open a gym. So I got, I got my hands in many things. I do consulting. We got our 320 acre spy ranch where I do a bunch of classes. Uh, and so opening a gym with my kind of spy angle, what worked for me and what I know helps people is my next kind of adventure, quote unquote, which I'm hopefully going to do in the next, in the next six months. If it's going to take time, I've got to get my act together just because I've got so many things going on. So that is something that is important to me is fitness, good health, being in good shape, because when you're in good shape, you can obviously defend yourself and I call it survival shape. But also when you're in good shape, you can live to see your kids and grandkids and all that kind of thing. So that is a kind of another adventure for me is opening that gym that I've always wanted to open. And then I just doing doing the consulting, doing the training, teaching the base of driving all I am blessed to be able to do what I love. And there's that old cliche, as we know, if you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. So I'm fortunate to be one of those guys. I hear that. Absolutely. There, there is one question I did want to ask you earlier on. Our, our conversation kind of moved on from it. But, um, you know, and this is a, this is a, one that can be the, the C, like the CIA is a it's a controversial organization to a lot of mm-hmm. people, even amongst even amongst Americans. Um, it's something that, you know, people look at and look into the history of and there's you know, thoughts about this or rumors about that, or this becomes declassified or whatever. I'm personally not an, I'm not actually an expert on mm-hmm. it at all. Um, but with that type of organization, I mean, you, you even have people who are, I don't know, running for presidency or things like that, talking about potentially disbanding it and all these type of uh, conflicts and thoughts. How is, from a, from a moral perspective, how, what's the, I don't know, what are the, the sort of lines and boundaries there with, the things that the the CIA does. I'm aware that any organization, especially any of a specific size, can, you know, we're dealing with human beings, right? And human mm-hmm. beings, human beings make mistakes, human beings are prone to corruption and things like that. I, I don't know what the exact question is here. But are there any? Um, how, how do you sort of are, are there some things that can happen that can or have happened with that organization or similar ones that provide some sort of moral what's the word i'm looking for it's a tricky question to ask i don't know how to phrase it well are there are there any sort of like moral quandaries in terms of some of the things that they've done given you know there's there's good and bad with everything right 
Yeah, I mean, I never had any moral quandaries about anything I did the agency or anything I saw. I will say that the agency has done some bad things in the past, just like the United States government has done some horrific things in the past. So I can't remember if it was during the 60s where they had the MK Ultra, where they were uh, mm, testing LSD yes. for mind control. Great example. And they ended up poisoning and you know unsuspecting people. And I jumped to his death and killed himself. So giving LSD to unsuspecting people, obviously not good, right? Obviously horrible. We don't do that. So I think you're always learning. I mean, when we look at the horrific things the United States government has done, slavery, Native Americans, the Japanese internment camps, I mean, horrible, horrible things that you look back and say that was an atrocity. So I think the agency, like, like every government agency, can look back on its past and be like, that was bad. We should have never done that. And as long as you're learning, as long as you're improving. So unfortunately, I think when we look back 50 years, we're going to do the same thing and say that was terrible. We didn't know that's going on, but you always try and do your best. I would never do anything that's morally wrong for me kind of thing. And I, yeah, I never had to deal with that. I never ran into anything like that. Yeah, no, I hear that. I, I, you know, of course it's not a, it's one of those things that I think is just worth, worth bringing up because I see so many, I don't know, the CIA seems to be an, an increasingly, again, another thing people seem to be increasingly divided on. I, it's, I, mean, I can't it's easy, speak as in, it's easy to attack the FBI, the yeah. CIA, they're very easy punching bags. And as I said earlier, the agency, you don't see 99% of the great work. They don't, you don't see how they protect us from our adversaries. You don't see how a adversary of ours almost shut down the power grid in half the United States, but because of some CIA operation, our power grid stayed on. Uh, you don't see how they're trying to pollute our water supply in municipalities, but because of a CIA operation, our water supply didn't get polluted type of thing. So the work is incredibly important. The agency absolutely needs to exist, but they're certainly not perfect. I hear that, man. Awesome, and I know I'm also aware that you cannot speak on behalf of a, <laughs> on on behalf of a, you know everyone in an entire organization currently, let alone historically. So that's fair enough, Jason. Man, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I'd love to speak to you again sometime. Um, where can people find and follow you online? I know you've got a you've got a big YouTube channel, but let people know where they can find you. Yeah, if they just if you go to YouTube and do Jason Hansen plus CIA, you can find me there. That's probably the easiest, simplest way. Or spybriefinggear.com. That's our store. And yeah, just let me know how I can help. And I appreciate having me on. This has been awesome. And thank you for your time for allowing me to be on your podcast. Awesome, Jason. No doubt. Really valuable insights on this one. And uh, I know people are going to enjoy it. So thank you. Awesome. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. 